chapter one, and we want to look at this vision of Isaiah. And we'll see what the Lord says to us out of this. Happy New Year to everyone. Praise God. Happy New Year to you all. Isaiah 1, beginning with verse 1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know my people doth not consider. So we'll look at the vision of Isaiah. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, for the next few moments as we get into the scriptures, we want you to minister to our hearts, Lord. Uh, speak to us clearly through these verses. I pray, God, that we really would take some time to meditate on the things in this great book because there's so much truth in it. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Jesus was known as a prophet, but we also know he was known as an apostle. That's what Hebrew says. He certainly was an evangelist. Nicodemus says he was a teacher. Jesus himself in John 10 says he was a shepherd. So we understand he fulfilled all of these different ministries. But yet in the Old Testament, there were prophets who ministered to kings and they prophesied to nations. And Isaiah was one of these individuals. He lived about eight centuries before Jesus was born. And he, he was reared in Israel when it was a divided kingdom. If you remember the stories of Solomon, you know that when Solomon died, his son refused to listen to wise counsel, but found some young people. And the young people misled him. And because of that, the kingdom was divided in two. So there was the kingdom of Israel with 10 tribes, then the kingdom of Judah with two tribes. Isaiah here has prophecies that deal with the kingdom of Judah. The kingdom of Israel by this time had had no less than 18 kings over a 200 year period. And not a one of them was righteous. Not a one of them followed God. But yet in Judah, because God wanted to preserve the covenant that he made with David, there were good kings. There were bad kings in Judah. So this gentleman by the name of Isaiah, we don't know how long he prophesied, but we know he had to be alive at least 90 years in order to do his ministry in the days of all of these kings. So that would mean, conservatively speaking, he prophesied at least five decades. I wouldn't be surprised if it was much more than that. But at least five decades, this man was in the ministry declaring what he saw. And this book in particular is cited in the New Testament plenty of times, and it's called the gospel in the Old Testament to many of the church fathers. They love the book of Isaiah especially chapter 53 and then other chapters. But looking at this again, what is a vision? Vision is something God gives someone when he's revealing things that are mysterious. Some of the Old Testament prophets and prophetesses were called seers because of what they saw. God opened up their eyes to behold 
spiritual truths. Sometimes they came in the form of a parable, an allegory. Sometimes they saw directly. Sometimes the Lord spoke to them in a dream or some other kind of a vision. But we know that this has to do with what he saw, because you can see in chapter two, verse one. Also, it says the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah. God was giving him images and pictures. God was showing him figuratively what this nation had become. And you can see that this was not just a ministry that was like a flash in the pan. This happened consistently. Now, it's narrowly focused on Judah and Jerusalem, Judah being the region, Jerusalem being the capital city. This is the this is the city that the Lord chose in which to place his name. This is where the temple was. This is where worship took place. And you can see again the names of the kings. Uzziah. In chapter six, you'll see that it was in the year that Uzziah died that he had that vision and he was near the throne. And, and the Lord said, who can I send? And Isaiah said, Lord, you can send me. The kings aren't always righteous people. Uh, they are politicians. And these individuals that you're looking at here in verse one, all of them were not good people. Uh, some of them were terrible. Ahaz, he had a lot of wickedness in his life. Uh, Hezekiah, he was a, a man that did love God. He walked with God. Uh, Jotham, kind of back and forth. These people, they wouldn't want to give up the high places and they allowed sin in the cities. But if, if there's sin that is manifesting in a strong way or a powerful way, then God has to have a voice. Every village, every city on planet Earth is just one person away from a move of God. One person away. God needs a man or a woman to open up his or her mouth and to echo what they hear from heaven. And sometimes, as with the case of Jonah, Jonah goes to Nineveh and he prophesies and everybody repents from the king all the way down to the average citizen. And let's not forget in the book of Acts where it talked about uh, one whole village came to Christ because of the gospel that was preached. So one person. Now I know we look at our nation as others look at their nations and we say this thing is so bad it can never turn around. Well, I don't know if the whole nation will turn around, but I can tell you God can still turn villages around. Because if God can change a house or family, then he can change everybody on the street. And if he can change the lives of people on the street, he can change a neighborhood. And if he can change a neighborhood, he can change a village. So don't ever lose your faith in thinking that that God isn't big enough to provide somebody with a strong voice. But just like with Isaiah, it has to be someone who's not afraid to confront leaders, confront sin, preach the gospel, preach for Christ, promote the grace of God. But at the same time, not condone evil. This is what the kind this is what Isaiah was as a prophet. He was not afraid. He knew that his voice had to be clear. And when he spoke, you didn't walk away from him wondering what was he trying to say? There was not a lot of ambiguity here. So in verse two, then he calls the heavens or the skies 
to be a witness to what he's about to say to the people on planet Earth. And he says, the Lord has spoken. Then he's telling us what God has has said. And that is, I brought up some children or exalted some children, some sons and daughters, and they've rebelled against me. Now, isn't isn't that a very hurtful thing? Now, you, you, you've got to consider all the effort, all the expenditures, all the sacrifices that moms and dads make for their children. And they do everything they can to make sure their children have a better life than they have, have more things than they have, and have more wisdom, even luxuries, than, than they have had. And yet, to see them then grow up and then bite the hand that's been feeding them. Don't you think that would hurt a parent? Hurt God. Yeah. God's talking about a whole nation here that he has reared. And what does it mean when he says he's brought them up as children? He redeemed them from Egypt. He brought them out. They were slaves. And when they came out of slavery, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Never forget that Deuteronomy tells us in chapter one that from Egypt to the promised land should have taken no longer than 11 days. It took them 40 years. So you've you got to ask yourself, I've got to ask myself, uh, do we wander sometimes when it comes to the things that God wants to bring us into? The Lord brought them into the through the wilderness, finally into the promised land with Joshua. They crossed that river. Joshua said, once we get into the promised land, you'll never see that manna again. And the manna ceased. And God fed them a different way. God did different miracles for them because manna was for a season. It was never to be eternal. And when they got into the promised land, then God had one prophet after another that came to talk to the people because there were judges that were leading them and guiding them and directing them. And so when the Lord says, I have reared you as children, he's saying from your formation with Abraham up until this point, I've looked after you. I preserved you. When the Assyrians came, I was there. When the Philistines came against you, the Moabites came against you. I've been there. So anytime children become rebellious, that's that's never a pretty thing, especially when we consider the things that God has done for us. So what has God done for you in what form or fashion are you in rebellion tonight? What is God saying to you? What is he speaking to your life? What has he told you to do? What do you feel compelled to do? A divine inward compulsion from the Holy Spirit that's in your heart to do this, to say this, to go here, to do that. But yet because of this or because of her or because of him or because of all of these things, you won't do it. It's not that you can't do it because you can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens you. And usually when we refuse to obey God, it is because it's a matter of the will, not a matter of capability. It's a matter of the will. We choose to say I'm not going to obey. And this is what happened with the children of Israel. They have rebelled against me. That's in the first person. And Isaiah is telling them that. Hear the word of the Lord. This is how you know that somebody is really speaking to you from God or saying they're speaking to you from God because they let you know this is God talking. And I think this is a very important point to make now. 
especially in so many of my travels, and I run into people who want to give me a word or someone a word or prophesy to someone, but yet they don't ever want to say, thus saith the Lord. What they're wanting to do is be vague enough and ambiguous enough that if it happens, they can say I was correct. But if it doesn't happen, nobody can say they were wrong. It's just like back when Trump was running. I remember I heard one man got up and prophesied on some program. He's talking about God told me to tell you in the middle of his prophecy. He said, God's going to play his Trump card. I said, really? I thought that's that's interesting. I said, Trump, Trump's in. He's obviously going to win. He lost and he he didn't remain as president. And so then he started backing away saying, well, well you know, when I said Trump card, I didn't mean that's, that's like in, in cards. I wasn't saying he was going to win. Oh, no. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. See, Isaiah is very clear about what he said. And if you ever feel like you have a word that you need to give somebody that's from the king. Don't try to be all vague and obscure. If you believe it's God, let somebody know it's God. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 14 that if someone gives a prophecy, others should stand by and judge. Now, I find most people don't like that judging part. Yeah, they, they, they love the giving of that, but they don't like the judging part of it. I've told, uh, I've done this before with people when they, when they've said to me <clears throat> in front of a whole lot of people, I want to, I, I got a word for you, Daryl. And you know, they get real dramatic. They want you to get up in front of people. So I got a word I want to give to you. Do you mind if I give it? It's fine. So long as you don't mind me telling you in front of everybody, I don't believe it's God if it's not God. <laughs> well, you know, if you, if you do that, <laughs> people kind of get flustered. You know, but but the bottom line is what what, what you don't want is deception. I, I've told the people in our churches before this doesn't happen uh, uh, now, but, you know, 20, 20 years ago and stuff. If we had different meetings with different churches and people like that afterwards, I'd get these little conversations. They said, well, pastor so and so wants to pull me off in the corner and, and say they've got a word for me. I said, well, if they want to pull you off in the corner, I said, you can say no or get two or three people to go stand there and listen to what they have to say. And if they get offended because you want somebody to come and listen and verify what they're saying, then I say that person has a character problem. Don't listen to a word they have to say. See, God has not put us in the business of trying to manipulate people and trying to be spiritual. If you have a word from God, we want to hear it. If you don't have a word from God, muzzle it. See, muzzle it. You keep a lot of people from danger that way. Verse three. So he chooses in this message, God uses two animals, the ox and the donkey. Uh, of course, you know, from reading scripture that typically these animals aren't portrayed as having a whole lot of genius. So the Lord is saying to the children of Israel here. These animals have more sense than you do. Don't you love how God knows how to speak to us? He gets right down there and speaks to our language and, and, and he helps us to understand. I've told you before that when, when uh, Mr. Balaam was too stubborn, God spoke to him through a donkey. 
when when Peter turned chicken, God anointed a, a, a rooster and, and God has a way of talking to us in a language that makes sense. And so here now we've got these brute beasts like an ox. And then we got one of the most stubborn animals on the planet, the, the, the donkey here. And they know where their owners and their homes are. But the children of Israel have forgotten who it is that has prepared a place for them. See? Yeah. Don't ever forget that. What, whatever you have tonight, you have because of God. You do. Whatever life you have, you, you have because of decisions you've made, hopefully, in accordance with walking with God in the will of God. And whatever your life is going to be 10 years from now are going to be determined by decisions you make today. Because your life right now is a product of decisions you made the last five years or the last 10 years. So the only way then to change what we see in the future is to make better decisions. And God is trying to help the children of Israel to see that your rebellion is still a decision. And you're going to eat the fruits of that. If you want the fruits of blessing, the scripture later on says, verse 19, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. But if you don't do those things, verse 20, if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured with the sword. And this is why I think Christians who won't walk with God, sometimes things just implode or things just blow up. I could share all kinds of stories of ministers who had good ministries and everything fell apart or churches that were doing well. And then the people in the church turned on one another and became like carnivores, cannibals and started biting and devouring one another. And where there had been a presence of God, where there had been a touch of God, the anointing of God, you don't have any of that now. This nation is filled with towns and cities that once had churches, but don't have them now. And it's like driving out in the country here. Sometimes you'll see uh, old dilapidated buildings. It used to be an old schoolhouse. See, Or you'll see another building it used to be an old church or something like that. Or the, you'll meet people who were raised in the country and they'll tell you, I went to this church out here and it was an old country church and that's where our families went and our grandparents went. But because of population changes and shifts and people were leaving the country, going to the city, then we lost our church. But there are some churches that were lost because of sin. And you read the first few chapters of the book of Revelation and you'll see where God's talking to that church at Smyrna, church at Ephesus, church at Thyatira. He's telling them. If you obey and overcome, I'll bless you. If you don't, then it won't be here. I mean, why, why would God want a church to misrepresent him down here on planet Earth when he represents us the correct way up top? And he said to the, to the people in the book of Malachi in chapter 1, he says, look, you treat your governor better than you treat me. Why do you even open the doors of the church if you're not going to live holy and walk with God? That's what he said. So why bring your tithes and offerings? So we come back then to verse four. Isaiah continues. He said, oh, it's a sinful nation that's burdened with guilt and iniquity and sin, a seed of evildoers. Now, you know what a seed is. A seed is going to be planted in the ground and it's going to produce a harvest. 
And this is what the Lord is saying. You, you have seeded the nation with iniquity. So it's natural then for there be, to be a harvest of iniquity because these things were sown years ago. They didn't start yesterday. It's not like the parable where the man looked out there and saw that beautiful field. He said, oh, my goodness, harvest time is going to be nice around here. Then he went to sleep and he woke up and walked back to the field and saw tears everywhere. Then realize an enemy has done this. Well, you know as well as I do, tears don't just just spring up in a in a in an overnight fashion. It takes a little time for them to grow, but when they do appear, it's hard to uproot them. See, hard to uproot them. Different kinds, musk, thistles, and 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 everything else. But if if you have a field that is sown with that and you can't get it out, then you have a nation, as he describes here, a sinful nation. I know that the current popular opinion is, is definitely to preach that way about this nation. And when you think about America, there's just trouble everywhere. And every time you look up, there's some bad story on the news and terrible things taking place. And what we hear or see in school systems aren't always good. Same thing with everything else. However, I do want you to know that if God has somebody that proclaim his word, it can turn around. Certain elements can turn around. It just takes an Isaiah to come along and open up his mouth. It says in verse four that the children are corruptors. These are people who are corrupting themselves. They are corrupting other people. Why? Because they've forsaken the Lord. And once people turn from light, they automatically embrace darkness. You can't cling to both of them at the same time. This just doesn't doesn't work that way. If you turn the light on, darkness is going to flee. But if you have the light off, you're going to be overtaken by the darkness. And so that situation has provoked the Lord unto anger. Did you know God could get angry? Did you know that? The, the Bible says in Ephesians that at, at one time we were children of wrath. And if you look at the last couple of verses of Revelation chapter six, it talks about the wrath of the lamb. Some people don't know that God can get angry. Because they have heard for so long, <clears throat> God is good. He is. But that's only one attribute. That's only one. And, and people have heard that God's not angry or mad at you. Well, who's he mad at? Well, he's not mad at me. I've got a covenant with him. My covenant is secure. And so my relationship with him has brought me into an acceptance in the beloved. That's Ephesians chapter one. But I do know that through the way that I live, I can grieve the Holy Spirit. But there are people who are outside of the kingdom of God and living in sin. And the scripture says God is angry with the sinner every day. The prayer of the of the unrighteous is an abomination to God. And when Jesus returns, he will not come back as a meek and lowly lamb. He's coming back as a warrior with the sword of his mouth. He's going to deal with his adversaries. So there are aspects of the anger of God that we need to know of in order to cultivate the fear of God. Now, now Pastor, what do you mean by fear of God? I mean, the, the reverence, the awe, the respect that should be given to God. He, he's not he's not the big daddy in the sky. We, we, we don't try to be loose with our words when we're talking about God. There's a reason the Lord said don't take his name in vain. It's not a substitute for a cuss word. It's holy. The mention of the name of Jesus has to do with salvation. 
when we think of God, let us remember. Zechariah doubted what the angel told him for the whole term of his wife's pregnancy. He couldn't even talk. God made that happen. And let's not forget that when we had the story of uh, Ananias and Sapphire, who decided they wanted to withhold a little bit of money, and both of them end up falling dead at the apostles' feet, they lied to the Holy Ghost, judged by God. That's after the cross. And, And don't forget, in Acts chapter 12, the Bible says that, That angel smote Herod because he didn't give God the glory. The people started shouting, it is the voice of a God. And he bathed in that. The angel smote him and he died. Paul was on the island of Cyprus. And the scripture says, as he was preaching and witnessing, a sorcerer tried to stop him. And here's what Paul said. When was the last time you heard a preacher say this? Here's what Paul said. The hand of God be upon you and you'll be blind for a season. Bible says he lost his sight. See, so so what I'm saying is I've never, ever had to worry about what God thinks about me in this covenant. But people don't have a covenant with God. They don't have the they don't have the mercies and compassions that we have. God loves everybody. Absolutely. But our role is to call the sinners to repentance, to call people into this covenant and into a relationship with God. We cannot let people take for granted that because they enjoy one attribute of God, his goodness, that God doesn't display anger. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Well, this leads to another question or to a question. Can a person backslide? Yes. Can a person backslide in covenant with God? They did. They had a covenant with God through Abraham. They had a covenant with God through Moses. They had a covenant with God through David. Well, then, Pastor, what does it mean to backslide? To turn away from God and do things you shouldn't do. Paul said, Demas have forsaken me because he loved this present world. Jesus went to the top of a mountain in the gospel of Luke. (coughs) He prayed all night. The next morning, he called all the disciples. He said, everybody, come here, come here, come here. They all came. And then of, of all the disciples, he said, I want you, I want you, I want you. He chose 12 and he said, you 12 will be apostles. You 12. And then the Bible says he gave to those 12 power to heal the sick, to cast out devils. Now, the scripture says the devil can't cast out devils and a kingdom cannot cast out a kingdom. If you got something unrighteous, it's not going to cast out something unrighteous. But yet Jesus, on another occasion, when some of his disciples had turned away and walked away because of what he was teaching about, his body being the bread of life and so on and so forth. He, he said, as people were going away, are you going to leave? They said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. He said, have I not chosen 12 of you chosen past tense, 12 of you. And one of you is present tense, a devil. So from the point that he appointed 12 apostles until the time that he made that statement, something started happening in one of them. 
I can tell you what started happening. For Judas, <clears throat> he was handling the money. No, no direct correlation here. <laughs> he, was, he was handling the money and he had power to preach and to heal. But, but you know what happens with us Christians sometimes? We start taking for granted the things that God has given to us. And before you know it, it becomes old hat. And I think with him, it got to the point where he saw so many blessings come to people, so many people healed, so many people touched, so many large crowds that he started honestly thinking, you know, this ain't a whole lot to this after after looking at this now, there's not a lot to this. And little by little, while he was hanging out with Jesus and the disciples every day, he was sliding backwards. You know he was sliding backwards because in Luke 22, the first couple of verses, there's a point where the Lord says the devil entered into him. Now tell me that's not a backsliding condition to go from having power to heal the sick. And then all of a sudden the devil is in you and Jesus has already told him at the final supper what you're going to do. Go and do quickly. And in John 17, when Jesus prayed that prayer of unity that we often talk about, he said, Lord, I've kept everybody you've given me, but I've only lost the one, the son of perdition. He was not the son of perdition when he was made an apostle. So coming back over here to the last line of verse four, they are gone away backward. People do backslide. Yeah. If I look at the number of people that have come through this church since we began, if all of them were here, there just wouldn't be any room for anyone in it. Just wouldn't be any more room. It'd be shoulder to shoulder people here. Same thing with uh, Red Cloud Church. But but I do know this. I've been here long enough to watch people, whether sitting here week after week or coming occasionally. I've seen people fall away from God, and I've seen people in the church start asking, them, "How you been doing? What's going on?" People try to love them. People try to reach out to them. And before you know it, they're not coming to church at all. And pretty soon they're not serving God at all. Then you start seeing them outside of the church and they're doing anything but living a Christian life. Why do people fall backwards? Because they turn away from God. A lot of people turn away from God. They become fascinated with things that aren't godly. See? If you allow the world to produce distractions in your life, I can promise you, you are going to move away from the king. And if you're mindful of where you came from, you're going to return there. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And as he was bringing them out, there's a verse in the Old Testament that tells us some of them turned around and left and went back to Egypt. Because if in your mind, you're thinking that now that I'm serving God, I can remember before I became a Christian and life was much better for me. You'll go back there if you keep meditating on that long enough. You'll, you'll return. Yeah, you've got to understand that the scripture says the carnal mind is enmity with God. You've got to put to death those deeds of the flesh. Important to do that. This will preserve a person from from moving backwards and and uh, let, let's not forget, there are groups of people like, let's say, uh, the Amish 
folks like that. And and right when they get to a certain age, 16, 17 or 18, before they actually really get plugged into the community and make the decision, this is where I'm going to be. This is where I'm going to stay. They allow them to leave for one year to go out into the world and do whatever they want to do. I wonder how many of them have gone out there into the world, never came back. Yeah, never came back. It happens. So verse verse number five, here's the question. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. So he's saying, why in the world should I chasten you? <laughs> if, I, if I do that, you're just going to keep running away. You ever heard a parent say, well, I, I, I spank my kid, but the more I spank them, the worse they act. I, I told my mom that one time about something I heard some parents say. I heard some parents say, um, how, how did it go? They said, they said, I, I, I spank my child and my child just laughs. And so I told my mother that my mother said, oh, they hadn't spanked nobody. She, she asked me, when, when did I ever laugh when she spanked me? I couldn't think of one time. I couldn't think of one time. See, you know, but I, I guess if you're just going to just do one of these. Now, what I tell you? I guess you probably are going to get some laughs and some giggles. But if you get what my mom put on me and what Tiff's mom put on her, there won't be any giggling at all. I can promise you that. So here we are. Verse five. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. The Lord is saying of the children of Israel in this current state that they're in, they're infirmed and ill and don't know it and don't even realize that their heart is growing cold. Now, remember, you got to guard your heart, the scripture says. You know, the, the, the heart is essential to every aspect of life. Physically, this is going to cause the blood to flow through your body. Spiritually, that heart, that inward being, that's important. Because if you don't protect it and you fill it with things that are carnal and things that are worldly, you can grow cold in your relationship with God. Yeah, have some time for devotion in your Christian life. Make sure you feed your spiritual man the way you feed your spiritual body or your physical body. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it. That means it's not healthy. But wounds, bruises, putrefying sores. If, if you see someone who has these things, you know they're not healthy. It's like when people get older sometimes and the older men and women, they're thin, their their skin gets thinner. And, and sometimes it gets so thin, it's almost to me, it just feels like it's soft as paper. And I mean, the slightest bump, then all of a sudden you see little blood vessels and things pooling up and spots all over their body. Well, this is what the Lord is saying here about the children of Israel. The, the, the health in their body has disappeared. Now, you know as well as I do that if we want health, we got to stay with the word of God. Yeah, because the scripture says his word produces medicine. See, medicine. A merry heart does good like a medicine, the Bible says. And I honestly believe that Christian people who live for God Whatever their old age may look like to them, they seem to be able to handle old age a whole lot better than people that don't know God. Because they think about the fact that every day is a blessing. God has opened up a, a door for me to be here still. And, and I'm sure that a number of you in here 
with the good health that you have in this season of your life, you know it's only because of God. Because if you look back at how you lived when you were younger, then you realize your life probably would be, probably should have been destroyed. But it says here, they, these bruises and sores have not been closed or, you know, bound up, neither mollified with ointment. So there isn't any kind of medicine that's been applied to it at all. No particular special oil. Now, if you imagine Job with open sores, or if you've seen people in hospital with open boils, those aren't pretty at all. If you've seen pictures on television of people who have uh, all kinds of bruises and various diseases, it's not good at all. If you've been around people with cancer, it's a bad smell sometimes emitted from that, that body. Uh, I've seen people that have had cancers in their chest or different places. They got a whole lot of stuff over it. And if they lift that thing up, there's an odor that comes because cancer is a living thing. It is in the body eating and devouring the flesh. That thing has an appetite. And, and if, if you can imagine all of that with what God is saying concerning the children of Israel, then you see the picture. In, the, in Timothy, when it talks about uh, the, the false teachings and the false messages of the people devouring folks like a canker. See, that word canker, that's the old English word for cancer. You just take the K and make it a soft C. That's all it's talking about. We'll come back here to verse 7. The Lord is saying, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devoured in your presence. It is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. So from God's perspective, he sees something about Israel, about Judah and Jerusalem, that they don't see about themselves. And I would hate for us to ever Think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. You know, yeah. We, we should be humble and we should be repentant and thankful and grateful. Uh, when I read a verse like this, <clears throat> the thing that comes to my mind is I'm, I'm grateful that I live in rural America and I don't live in San Francisco. I'm grateful that I live in rural America and I don't live in New York City. You say, Why? Because whatever kind of troubles and problems we're having out here, you go there, you just multiply them exponentially. Yeah. When, when years ago, when they had the issues in Lincoln, where people were just walking up to folks' homes and usually older people's homes and just kicking the front door in and going in and robbing people and killing folks. I'm like, oh my goodness, what? Why in the world would anybody do something like that? Sin. See, if people don't know God, you can't expect sinners to live a godly life. But I do know this, though. There was a time in this nation where I think probably the average small town had a greater or higher moral standard than some churches in America. Yeah. Yeah. You say, you say how could that be? Because if you have a church that doesn't believe the Bible, but they call themselves a church, then you have all kinds of reckless stuff that's going on. But if you have a community that really does have some standards, then there were towns that probably didn't have children born out of wedlock. See? I was raised in an environment where 
one of my close friends in seventh grade became pregnant. And she didn't get pregnant and have one or two or three. But the first time she had four, seventh grade. See, think about that. Now, I've been out of school now for 35 years. That's out of high school. So you back that up to junior high, you know, deduct the three years for high school, then head on back three more years for uh, junior high that first year. So we're looking at basically 40 years old those children would be right now. And I can tell you a whole lot of stories like that. So when I say that, that there are places in, uh, in this nation where the standards were different in small towns, I know it's the case. I know it's the case. And, and this is why God has to have somebody that declares the word and speaks the word. If, if, if someone stands in that pulpit and preaches and they minister God's word to young people and older people. I believe God's word is strong enough to corral certain types of behavior and to preserve our testimonies and to keep us. You, you've heard me say through the years that all the years we've been out here, we've never had a kid raised in church who stayed with God that ever had, had a kid out of wedlock. Now, I have a whole lot of pastor friends don't have that testimony. Yeah, I have a whole lot of pastor friends don't have that testimony. And, and that that isn't I don't think typically that's anything because of me. But I do, I do think it has to do with the culture that you produce in that church. See, it has to do with the culture, because that that word, it penetrates the hearts and minds of parents and it penetrates the hearts and minds of young people. And I used to I used to tell the teens in Red Cloud, I said, now think about this when you're getting ready to go out there and sin. I said, I'm praying that just when you're about to do that, that God just brings a big picture of my face and puts it in front of you. I did. I used to. I did. I did. Tiff will remember this story. We were leaving Red Cloud driving here for the uh evening service one time and as we were driving out of town I saw a couple of the teenagers two two boys and and as we were going by I waved at them and so they waved back but when they waved back they lifted up a brown paper bag with a bottle in it and so I didn't know what was in the brown paper bag and I thought it might have been a 40 ounce or some kind of beer or something like that so Tiff was in the car with me I I've turned that car around so fast and I sped up next to them and roll had that window going. I said, hey, stop that car. And I said, what's in that bag? And they lifted up pastor. This nothing but orange juice. I said, all right. I said, I want to hear. Turned around, came to, came to Hebron, had church that night. Yeah. But, but you know what? <clears throat> they, they probably didn't always like how I was on them about different things like that. But I can tell you one thing, through the years, I've had a whole lot of them come back to me now and tell me, Pastor, thank you for how you were. See, thank you for how you were. Yeah, We'll, we'll finish right here with verse 8, just letting you know that this cottage in the vineyard, this lodge in this garden was overwhelmed and overcome with all of this vegetation. That's the image he's trying to say. You, you, you've seen that before. You've seen images of that before. Uh, homes that are overwhelmed by the growth 
If it's a brick house, you know, you've seen vines and stuff growing all on the outside of it. And you can barely see any brick. Or you've seen homes that were surrounded in a, in a little area where there's a lot of trees and vegetations and you can barely get a glimpse of it. This is what he's saying about about Judah and Jerusalem. He said, I'm looking at you, but I can barely even recognize this is supposed to be the holy place of God. Something has happened. Something has happened. And, and we want God to help us to, to live for him in this new year. You see, uh, certainly. We, we see people deviate all the time, but let's not deviate. Let's walk with God. And, and when we see other people moving off to the left or drifting off to the right, let's stay on the narrow path and keep walking with God. And, and if we do that, I promise you, you'll be the one that everybody's trying to contact when it's time to pray. Uh, I've told you before, people didn't like Daniel. That man going to his room, he'd pray, turn towards Jerusalem, talk to God. Nobody wanted Daniel anywhere around. They thought he was the party pooper. He was the killjoy. He wouldn't eat the food that they wanted to feed him. He wasn't interested at all. I'm sure he didn't get invited to anybody's parties. But when that king saw the fingers of a man's hand and he couldn't understand what was written and his knees got to shaking, then all of a sudden they start saying, where is Daniel? See? And people that mock you and may say they don't believe that God answers prayer today, let them get sick. They'll call you because they know you believe in that. Yeah, they'll tell you what that salvation stuff is, is bunk. Nobody needs any kind of religion or Jesus. Let that home start collapsing or falling apart. They're going to call you. They're going to say, do you really believe Jesus saves people out of trouble? You say, yep. They'll say, would you mind praying for me? Yeah. But if, if, if you don't stay on that narrow path, your own conscience won't let you pray with the belief that God will answer your prayer. Yeah. So be diligent and be disciplined. Father, we thank you that we could look through the word and see what you have to say to us. In this first study of the new year, in thinking about this vision of Isaiah, Lord, we want to learn everything we can from it. We want you to minister to us powerfully. Help each one of us to be witnesses for you. Help us to share the good news of Jesus with as many people as possible so that they will know he died on the cross for their sins and was raised from the dead. God, we thank you for the covenant that we have through your son. And because of that covenant, we know we're accepted in the beloved and we can approach you boldly and come to the throne of grace and find help when we have a need. We love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, 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 amen.